Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're to the point in the service of why we came this morning, and that is to hear the preaching of the Word of God, to hear what God has for us this morning. And um, boy, I, sh- I sure hope that your heart is prepared, that your heart is open to what God has for you this morning. Uh, we, I say we, uh, what I guess six of us men took a, um, a whitewater rafting trip this, this Friday and Saturday. So we, we drove up on, for, over to West Virginia, so we drove over on, on Friday. We went whitewater rafting on Saturday. Everybody made it back in one piece, but boy, I got to tell you, uh, Brother Matt, I'm going to spill the beans, all right? Uh, it's going to be funny one day. I'm still mad right now, but it'll be funny someday. They might get a kick out of it. <laughs> yes, we went to West Virginia twice. So what happened was, uh, Brother Matt, and, and I, man, he, he was so gracious to do this. He, he got a hotel for all of us to, to be able to stay in. So he booked the country in suite. And uh, so we were going to Beckley, West Virginia. He typed in Berkeley on accident, not realizing that it was Berkeley, thinking it was Beckley, and, and found the country in. Uh, in Berkeley. Well, it popped up as Berkeley Springs, and so he said, well, that's got to be it then. It's probably just right next to where we're staying or whatever else. So we put Berkeley Springs country in, and we took off, and he said, taking us up 95, and I said, 95? That seems kind of weird why we'd go up 95. I said, what are we, cutting over on 66? Yeah, yeah, cutting over on 66. We get up there. It was supposed to be three hours and 40 minutes, so we get up. We left at about one o'clock. We got up there about five o'clock, 530, somewhere around there. He said, something doesn't look right. The address that it's taken us to is this parking lot right here, and there's nothing in it. <laughs> and so Josh started looking on his phone. He said, no, no, this is right. It's right around the corner. The country inn is right around the corner. So Matt's looking at his, and I, the, his face was just getting whiter and whiter and whiter. He said, you're not going to believe this. He said, it's not Berkeley Springs. It's Beckley, and we're four and a half hours away. <laughs> we drive around the corner, and there is the country inn. Not country inn suites, the country inn. And it looked like the country inn, too. And so we said, well, we might as well make the best out of it. We started playing games and everything on the way down, and we got there about 1130 at night. But we made it. We made it. And, uh, and we woke up early enough to get out there and go rafting in the morning. But um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but uh, it was a trip we'll never forget. I, at least when it comes to that, I can tell you that much. But anyway. Well, this morning, suppose you could change anything about yourself. Where would you start? Would you be skinnier? Would you be taller? Would you be shorter? Would you be better looking? It's hard for anybody to be better looking than JJ, but even he might want to change that. I don't know. But, uh, you know, what would you want to change this morning? Would you change your eyes, your hair, uh, your bulges, you know, whatever, your, your teeth? What, if, if you could take a magic wand and change your outward appearance, would it be maybe just some light changes or would it be an extreme makeover? You know, would we even be able to recognize you by the time you're finished? Uh, I think we all go through periods at some point in our lives where we, we desperately want to change our outward appearance. Um, teenagers get into that, that, that stage, I think, a little bit more than, than uh, adults do, but they live in that constant fear that they don't look right. They don't look, uh, you know, good enough, and so they tinker with this, and they try that, and they wear these clothes, and they do this, and they do that, trying to fit in maybe with the, with the, the crowd that they're around. But when we grow older, we get smarter a lot of times, or do we? You know, we spend hours trying to find just the right dress or just the right suit or, you know, uh, the right pair of pants that will fit with the crowd that we're trying to, you know, to, to, to match with. And, um, you know, when it comes to adults especially, you know, we start to diet. Uh, um, 
obsessively. We work out, which is it's good for our health, but it's, it's really a losing battle because, honestly, after we lose the weight and finally look good, it starts to creep its way back, you know. You finally got down to the weight that you wanted to be at, and so you start eating everything you used to eat again, and the next thing you know, you're right back where you started, you know. Uh, but you finally reach the stage in life where it's easier to just try to cover it up than it is to lose it, you know. And then maybe you just get to the point where you just give up altogether. You don't care anymore. But as hard as it is to try to change on the outside, uh, it seems infinitely harder to try to change things on the inside. Um, if there's anything we know about human nature, it's that people change slowly, if they change at all. Um, but think about the struggles in your own life. What would you change about yourself on the inside if you could? Would it be an impatient spirit? Or would it be a critical tongue? Would it be maybe envy of those around you? Would it be a spirit of discontentment? Or would it be maybe some lingering resentment that you have toward another person? Would it be lust that you feel like you cannot conquer? Or maybe some kind of overbearing stubbornness? Uh, would it be a judgmental spirit? Would it be a quick temper? Would it be just a, a, a spirit of constant discouragement and, and anxiety even? An ungrateful spirit. I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about, but I believe that one of the greatest prayers that we could ever pray is, Lord, change me. Change me. Those, those two words can have such a profound impact on our spiritual lives if we pray that and mean it. Uh, and if we were to ask, I think we'd all say that we want to change for the better. Uh, but we don't know where to start. We don't know how to do it. We just, we don't know where to begin. And so, you know, we, we all dream, I think, of, of being something different, being better than we already are, being more spiritual than we already are, being, being better Christians, having a greater relationship with Jesus Christ than what we have right now. In fact, when it comes to, you know, knowing that we want to be better, advertisers know that as well. That's why your, your inbox is filled with all of these ads telling you how you can, you know, uh, make yourself better overnight. I got one in my inbox not too long ago that said, take this pill and just watch the pounds melt away. I mean, wouldn't that be great? You know, you, you pop a pill and you wake up in the morning and boy, there's pounds laying next to you on the bed and you stand up in front of the mirror and you look half as, you know, half as wide as you did when you went to bed. It doesn't work that way because change is something that takes a long time. Change is slow. Um, it's hard. In fact, if you go to any bookstore, you'll see that there's an entire wall of self-help books. People want to change. They rarely do, but they want to. And I think the same thing that we run into in our, in our lives, in our Christian lives, you know, um, we want to change, but very few people rarely do. Um, that brings us to our text this morning in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one and two. It's probably one of the better known verses in the New Testament, but it says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, having, having Bible knowledge is good. You ought to know your Bible. 
You ought to study the Bible. You ought to know verses. You ought to memorize these verses that we have for our theme verses of the month. You know, we, we have you memorizing verses on Wednesdays and things, and, and those are good things to do. Having that knowledge is a good thing, but knowledge alone is certainly not going to change us. Uh, and here's my key point this morning. I, very, most of us change very slowly if we change at all. And few of us are going to make any kind of lasting changes uh, except under pressure and as a result of personal pain. You hear what happens. Uh, I mean, you, you had high school coaches, maybe even college coaches that told you this your whole life. No pain, no gain, right? Get out there and run some more sprints. That's the way it usually works, right? If it's not hurting, you're not gaining anything. And honestly, that's, that's the same way that it goes in our spiritual life a lot of times too. God really has to many times put us through those difficult trials and, and, and make us go through something that's very uncomfortable to get us to change, to get us to the point where he wants us to be so that we're ready and willing to make those changes that come very rarely. But there's no growth without struggle. And here's the good news, though. Patterns of sin can be broken. But it'll take more than a quick prayer at the end of a church service. You know, you sit there and, 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 and you're very sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, I believe. You come forward at the end of the service, and that's great. You ought to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You ought to be willing to come forward at the end of a service and make a decision. But that's only a start. That doesn't produce real change in our lives. You can see a significant growth in your spiritual life, but it's not going to come without a cost. And so this morning, what I want to share with you is how we can change. The title of the message this morning is simply this, change me, change me. So let's see how we can effective, see that effective change in our lives to help make us more like Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this idea this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time that we could spend together around your word. And God, I pray that you'd help our hearts to be open for, to, to exactly what you'd have for us this morning. And that we'd be willing to honestly and sincerely pray that prayer, Lord, change me. Change me. And I pray that you'd help us as we look at these verses this morning, that it would give us a better understanding of how we can do that and a greater desire to be changed into your image. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first thing is this. Change starts with salvation. Change starts with salvation. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Now, most of you, many of you, if not all of you this morning, already know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But there might be somebody that doesn't. In fact, I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to turn to a few verses this morning. There can be no change, or there can at least be no lasting change, until there is a complete transformation by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Um, the root of that word transformed has the same idea as metamorphosis. And you know what metamorphosis is when, when a caterpillar enters into a cocoon and it emerges from that cocoon as a butterfly. That's what metamorphosis is. I mean, you look at that caterpillar when it went in and you look at that butterfly when it came out and there is a complete transformation. It's the same bug that went in there, right? It's, it's not like it becomes something completely new, but it was changed from one thing into another creature. And that's exactly what this idea of transformation is all about in our lives. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 says that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're going to baptize this morning. That's what that idea of baptism is all about. Not washing our sins away or anything like that, but it's identifying with Jesus Christ that I am buried in the likeness of his death and I am raised to what? 
newness of life. I'm a new creature. That's a transformation that takes place when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. When a caterpillar changes into a butterfly, you know what happens? It becomes the creature that God intended for it to be. God never intended for a caterpillar to stay as a caterpillar for the rest of its life. He intended for a caterpillar to go into that cocoon, to, 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 to have that transformation and to come out as a butterfly. Now, I don't know about you, but I think butterflies are a whole lot more beautiful than a caterpillar, right? Now, some of those caterpillars can have a cool little design on the back or whatever else, but nobody's walking around, for the most part, taking beautiful pictures of caterpillars, right? Taking pictures of the butterflies. That's the ones that people are putting on their walls and everything else, because a, a butterfly is a beautiful creature, but it had to go through that transformation in order for that to take place. Now, study the caterpillar for a second. Better yet, t take a half a dozen of those caterpillars and put them on a, on a desk and then tell somebody that doesn't know anything about metamorphosis that those caterpillars are going to be transformed into butterflies, and they'll probably think that you're crazy. But those crawly things are going to turn into butterflies. You can't tell by looking at a caterpillar that one day it's going to fly because it looks impossible. But I'll tell you what, when God gets a hold of a life, there's no telling the change that can take place. But it all begins with salvation. The second thing is this, change continues with obedience. Turn over to John chapter 5. There's a lot of people who get saved and see that transformation in their life. They go from that caterpillar to that butterfly and they start to see the difference in themselves. They start to see the difference in their life. Other people looking at them can tell that something has happened. There's a transformation that's taken place and they can see that transformation from death to life. They can see the difference that Christ has made in their life but then that's where they stop. You know, uh, talk about the idea of metamorphosis. A tadpole that's born is a, is a great little thing. But tadpoles were never meant to stay as tadpoles, right? Uh, they were born to be frogs. And a, and a tadpole might be swimming around thinking about how wonderful it is to be a tadpole in this pond. But that's not where God intended for that tadpole to stay. God intended for that thing to grow and to change and to transform and to be useful as a frog, right? Uh, the Bible says in John chapter 5 and verse number 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That's what God designed for us to do. Go and bear fruit. Go and be a useful Christian. I say this all the time, and, and you know that I say this all the time, but if God only intended for us to get saved, and that's the only job that he had for us on this earth is to get saved, he would take us out of here the moment we accepted him as our Savior. God leaves us on this earth for a reason, and what is that reason? It's to bear fruit, to see other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, to be a witness for him, to live for him, to be a godly testimony for him, to help other people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and go through that same transformation process that you did. You've not, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Why? That you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. He didn't intend for us to just go from death to life and stay there. He intended for us to go from death to life and then live an abundant life as a Christian. Now, let me share a couple verses with you to illustrate what I'm talking about when it comes to change, continuing with obedience. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1. You know the story. Joshua had just taken over as the leader. Moses had passed off the scene. God... God buried him somewhere in the desert and told him that he wasn't able to go into the promised land uh, because of the sin that he had committed of disobedience. Joshua comes in and takes over. And then God says this in Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. What's he saying there? Obey it. Here's the book. This is, this is the uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the law. This is what's given to you. This is what you should follow. But then what does he say in the rest of that verse? He says, observe to do all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That comes from obedience. Change comes from obedience, obeying what God says in the Bible. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the verse on your license plate, I think, right, Miss Diana? Uh, I was, I, they, they came over to the house the other day, and I saw the license plate, Deuteronomy 5.29. I said, what is that verse? I couldn't, it, it, it didn't ring a bell. And she quoted the verse for me, and then I'm working through this message, and I came across that verse when it comes to the idea of obedience. I said, man, that's a perfect verse. That's exactly what this is talking about. Deuteronomy 5.29. Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. Why? That it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, within every Christian, God puts a desire to live for him. God puts a desire to serve him. Those Christians who get saved and stop growing or grow for a short time and then quit are fighting against that God-given God desire for them to live for him. Because a Christian was not made to live for the world. You don't have the father that you used to have. The Bible said in John 8, ye are of your father the devil. That's what those who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior are doing. They're following their father. But once you get saved and you, get that, you go through that transformation, you, you go from death to life, the devil is not your father anymore. God is your father. And he didn't intend for you to live for the devil. He intended you to live for him. And so he's going to put that desire. As a Christian, that desire is going to be to live for God, to serve God. So when we as Christians don't live for God and we don't serve God, we're going against that God-given desire as a Christian to live for him. And I tell you, that is a hard road. That's a hard road. The more you quench the Holy Spirit that's living inside you, the easier it gets to say yes to the flesh. But I can tell you that the whole time you're walking away from him, not only is he convicting you, but you inherently know that what you're doing is not right. You inherently know that you're going in a direction that is against what God wants you to do. Well, you might say, how do I know if something's right or not? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I think a Christian who is earnestly desiring to live for Jesus Christ will take every opportunity to obey God's commands as they're given to him in the Bible, as he reads and studies, as he hears them preached in messages and everything else, a, a Christian's desire is going to be to live for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Have you ever tried to do something without thinking? Try it. It's impossible. Well, why did you do that? I just wasn't thinking. Well, yes, you were. You just weren't thinking clearly. You, know, you thought about it first. You don't, ever, you don't do anything without thinking about it, even if it's for a split second. You know, I don't just, oh, that was an accident. I don't, how did that happen, you know? You thought about it first, right? Everything that you do, you think about it first. And so, if we can bring every thought under the obedience of Christ, then that would mean that every action that follows would be brought under the obedience of Christ as well. 
He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The key is obedience. As we obey, as we follow, as we do everything that we can to, to do what he's told us to do in his word, we're going to see that change. The moment you stop following God in obedience is the moment that you allow pride to take over and the growth stops. Now, Jackson desperately wants to grow taller. He thinks that because he's, what, how tall are you, 4'6"? No, 4'5". Because he's 4'5", he's never going to grow. He's never going to get any taller. I'm going to be short the rest of my life, right? He can't make himself grow taller, but he wants to. He has that desire to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There would be a problem with a boy that got to Jackson's height, four foot five inches, and said, you know what? This is great. I'm done growing. I don't want to grow anymore. You know, I can duck under stuff that you can't duck under, you know? And nobody says that, though, right? Everybody's, everybody wants to be 6'6", and big as Dan Corey back there, right? Everybody wants to be, you know, just as, as big as you can be. Why is that? Because we all have that desire to grow. We want to grow. We want, you know, when you're a kid, you, you want to get taller. You want to be like your dad or like whoever it is that you're modeling yourself after, you know? Um, and the same is true, and maybe even more critically, in our spiritual lives. We ought to have that desire to grow. And in fact, there's something wrong when we lose that desire to grow in our Christian lives. Boy, just like a kid who stops that desire to grow when he's just a little short thing, there's the same thing wrong with a Christian who des stops desiring to grow in his Christian life and, and get closer to Christ and be stronger as a Christian. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is, this is a test for us. I'm not going to give you a test. I'm saying this is a test of, of how we can figure out where we are in our spiritual lives. 1 John chapter 2, we all say that we want to change. I want to be more like Christ, but do you really, are you obeying what you already know you should be doing? 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. 1 Peter 2.21 says that we should, that, uh, for Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Jesus Christ was perfect. He never sinned. And Every one of us have, but we ought to be trying to walk in his steps, right? I, I remember when I was, uh, when Jackson was real little, and we got a snow out in the backyard, and I was, in, and you've probably all had an experience similar to this, but I walked back to go get the shovel out of the backyard, and next thing you know, I saw Jackson walking in my footprints. That was the only way that he could get through there, right? And that's the way that we ought to be doing with Jesus Christ. He's been there before. He's walking that perfect path, and we ought to be walking in his footsteps, trying to be just like him. How do we know that we're, that we're seeing that change? How do we know that we're going the right direction? Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, turn back to Romans chapter 12. Change begins with salvation. It continues with obedience. And lastly, change is fulfilled 
in holiness. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Something that is offered as a sacrifice doesn't get to pick what happens to it. Doesn't get to choose how it dies. A sacrifice is a sacrifice. And it means they've given up all their rights to everything. And that's exactly what God is telling us that we ought to do as Christians. Doesn't mean that we got to go slit our throats and, you know, die. He's not saying that, but he's saying a living sacrifice means I have no right to myself. It means that I've given up everything to God. What he wants me to do is what I want to do. Where he wants me to go is where I want to go. How he wants me to live is how I want to live. That's what a living sacrifice is. And you know what he says about that? It doesn't say that the person who gives up himself for Jesus Christ is, wow, what a good Christian. Let's put him up on a pedestal and fall down at his feet and worship him. It doesn't say that, does it? It says it's our reasonable service. Reasonable service. That's what it is to see that change, to have that obedience. When our earnest prayer is, God, change me, we'll have no problem with obedience. When you have no problem with obedience, then you'll embrace holiness as your ultimate goal. Change me indicates that there is a desire to be better. It indicates that, that a humility is there and the fact that I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what God wants me to be, but I want to be what I want to be. And I want to be what God wants me to be. But my ultimate goal is to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. I'm not going to be satisfied until I'm like Christ. Turn over to Psalm 17. While you're turning over there, I want you to listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. It's a verse that is taken out of context a lot to talk about predestination and and. and that only certain people are, are to be saved and certain people are not to be saved. But that's not what this verse means at all. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 says this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's predestinated. Those who know Jesus Christ as their savior. For whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be like Jesus. And our goal ought to be to be like Jesus. Look what the psalmist says in Psalm 17 and verse 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You know what that means to me? I'm not going to be satisfied until I look just like Christ. And for most of us, for all of us, We'll never be just like Christ. We're never going to be perfect. But we ought to be trying to be. We ought to want to be. And I'll let you in on a little secret. The moment you ask God to change you and mean it is when you've already started on that path toward holiness. In the year 1464, a sculptor named Agostino di Duccio began working on a piece of flawed marble. It was a huge chunk of marble, and it had a flaw in it. And he was trying to produce a, uh, a, a magnificent 
sculpture of an Old Testament prophet for a, um, for a, for a um, cathedral in Florence, Italy. And he worked on that thing for two years, and then he stopped. Because he came across that flaw, and he said, I, did, I can't go on with that thing any farther. There's no way that this piece of marble is going to be turned into something. Well, in 1476, 12 years later, Antonio Rossellino began to work on that same piece of marble, and he came to the same conclusion. This piece of marble is not useful. You can't use it. It's got, it's got too big of a flaw in it. 25 years later, in 1501, a 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo was offered a considerable amount of money to take that gigantic piece of marble. It had already been paid for and everything else, but to take that gigantic piece of marble and produce something worthwhile from that, just that enormous rock. And the, the rock had become known as the giant. It was just a massive piece of, of, of marble that nobody could do anything with because of this flaw that it had. And, of course, he began to work, and he saw that major flaw at the bottom that had stymied these other sculptors who had tried to do the work on it. And, and uh, he decided to turn that part of the stone into a broken tree stump that, uh, broken tree stump that would support the right leg. And the rest he worked on for four years until he produced the incomparable work known as David. And many of you have probably at least seen pictures of it if you haven't been there, but today it's a 17-foot tall statue, stands on display in the Academia Gallery in Florence where people come from all the world to see it. And I think more than a masterpiece, it's one of the greatest works of, of uh, artistry, one of the greatest sculptures that's ever been produced. And, it, and it's said by those who know that industry, and I'm certainly not an expert on it, but it's said that that's one of the, that's one of the uh, there is no statue that's been made that's more perfect than that statue. A lot of people asked him how he did it. Here's his answer in his own words. He said, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. Said, it, said maybe in more of a colloquial way, I cut away everything that didn't look like David. But that's exactly what his goal, he saw that statue inside that marble and his job was just to take away all those excess pieces until he had exactly what he was looking for. And I'll tell you, we can apply that to our spiritual lives so well. All of us are works in progress. We're not finished, we're not glorified, we're not like Jesus Christ today, but we're all under construction. If you've ever visited a construction site, it's a very noisy, loud place. There's a lot of work going on. And that's exactly what God is doing with us. We are under construction. He sees the perfect form underneath all of that rough work. And he wants to do that work on us. He wants us to allow him to chip away at all of those things. It starts with salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might as well stay as a block of marble. No transformation can take place. God's not working on you because he's not your father. But the moment you accept Jesus Christ and that transformation takes place, we ought to start begging God to help us to obey him. And the more we obey him, the more of that rough edge he takes off. The more we follow him and the more we desire to be like him, the more he sculpts that image into exactly what he wants it to be. You know, you are as right with God today as you want to be. Well, you say, no, I'm not. I, you know, I, I want to be more right with God. I know I have so much more growing to do. 
But you are as right with God today as you want to be. And the reason I say that is because if you really wanted to be more right with God, you would be. You'd get rid of those things that you know are there that are keeping you from being everything that God wants you to be. Oh, there's so much in this world when it comes to movies and music and internet and television and all of that kind of stuff that just fills our minds up with things that, that shouldn't be there, quite honestly. And the more we allow those things to come in, the more we're allowing the world to change us instead of allowing God to change us. But that's what he wants us to do. And that ought to be the prayer that we're praying. God, change me. Change me. When you want to be changed, it all begins with salvation. It continues with obedience, and it's fulfilled in holiness when you're like Christ. That's something that's going to continue till we die because we'll never be like Christ. But I'll tell you this. It ought to continue until we die. Till you take your last breath, you ought to be praying, God, change me. God, help me to be obedient. God, help me to live for you. God, I want to be right with you and mean it. And if you mean it, then God continues to chip away at all of those things that are not part of the image that conforms you into the image of his son. God, change me. Will you be willing to pray that this morning? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you for being patient with me. God, I know there's so many times in my life when you've probably looked at me and just shook your head and said, what am I going to do with that hunk of marble? But God, you continue to work, continue to scrape, continue to hack away. And as we give in to you, and allow you to make us into the image of your son. We start to see that more clearly. And we start to see exactly what you want us to be. And boy, it's a beautiful picture. I pray that you'd help every one of us to want to get to the place where you can use us in such a tremendous way. Because we're so moldable in your hands and so pliable underneath your knife. that We'd be willing to do anything that you want us to do. And God, I pray that we'd have a whole church full of people that are praying that prayer every single day. God, change me into what you want me to be. And I know that there's no telling what you can do with a church full of people that are praying that prayer. I pray that you'd help each one of us this morning. If you're speaking with our hearts, to pray that prayer and to mean it. And then the moment we get up from the altar and walk away, that we'd start putting that into practice. God, change me. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. It's a bold prayer. And I hope it's a prayer that you won't pray and not mean it. Because if you pray that prayer, doesn't cutting is not an easy thing. Having God cut things out of your life, that's not easy. It might, he might take away some things that you hold pretty dear to yourself, and I don't mean that he's going to kill off your family members and things like that, but some of those sins that you've been holding close to your chest, God starts cutting away at those things, and sometimes it's hard to let those things go. That's been my life. That's been everything that I know. But I can tell you this. 
in the hand that you can't see, he's got something so much better than what you can even imagine. All he's waiting for us to do is to unleash those things, to let go of them, so that he can put something in our hands that's so much better than we even imagine. But it all starts with a prayer. God, change me. Change me. Would you pray that prayer this morning? As the piano plays, the invitation is open and you can come.